Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code REDBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com. Judy Hare was a bankrupt, homeless, drug-addicted college dropout on the brink of divorce, but is now a seminary graduate and devoted wife and mother of four children. What happened? Find out in her autobiography, Shattered, How God Restored My Heart and Life. Her journey of faith has been called brutally honest, truly inspiring, profound, heartbreaking, and life-changing. Shattered is available now for only $15 on her website, judyhair.com, on amazon.com, or at your local Catholic bookstore. As Judy says, it is never too late to become the person you deserve and desire to be. So stop wishing for change and start doing something about it by reserving your copy of Shattered today. Welcome to Journey with Judy, a weekly podcast filled with faith-infused inspiration, information, and an opportunity for implementation. Now, here is speaker, coach, author, and host, Judy Hare. Hello, you are journeying with Judy right here on the Journey with Judy podcast. You can join us live on Wednesday evenings, or you can subscribe to the YouTube channel and receive that directly in your inbox on Fridays. Tonight, we are talking about love, right? Can we ever exhaust the topic of love? I would propose no. (laughs) And I am so excited to be with you all this evening. And of course, the enemy loves to make some technical difficulties, but I have some persistent people who are going to tune in no matter what. And I just love that. So there was a time where I, back in the day when I spoke in person, there was an opportunity for Bob and I to travel to North Dakota. And so it's always so wonderful when we can join each other when I get to go and speak and that he gets to come with me. It's just such a great thing that we get to do. And so I was connecting with this woman in Ohio. And so I said to Bobby, you know, I think it would be so great if on our way for the weekend, we could stop and visit our, my new friend in Ohio. And he's like, we're going to North Dakota. I go, I know. So I just kind of thought like on the way we could swing by and say hi. Okay. So geographically, you've now learned something else here. I did not know the states, unlike my daughter, who when she was three could do a puzzle of the United States. However, it made perfect sense to me that in order to get there, you, you, know, you could go here first. And so that made me think about the topic tonight of relationships and of love, that I had really no clear direction. I thought you could get there by going here first. And I learned the hard way after I said I do that it is way easier to say I do than it is actually to come through. So little recap of last week. We said, who knew when you said I do 
what love would require of you. Who knew when you said, I do, what love would require of you? And I'm such a believer that all, all scripture uh, is just relatable and relative to any and all aspects of our life. So this is not just a I do husband and wife thing. This is a I do. When we say I do, like I do claim, profess to love you, what does that even look like? And so none of us knew. And if we knew when we said I do, what would be required of us, then I'd like you to send me a private message, not even in the group chat, save it till another time. Because here's what happens, is we say we will, and really oftentimes have no idea what, what is even required of us, and until we're in it, we really can't even can make that commitment, right? So what happens is we typically say, I need you to come through. And forget that I ever said I do. I need you to come through and let's just scratch the part where I ever said I do. So I would propose that love um, is always the answer to every single question. And my belief is that to some degree in the scripture we're going to unpack tonight from um, St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians is that it's kind of this abstraction. And so what I'd like to bring it down to tonight is literal application from abstraction to application. So it's absolutely not a heart, a head thing. It is completely in totality, a heart thing. So not just a head thing. It's not enough to know love. It, it's a totally different thing to be love. And so just to recap, if you didn't listen to last week's, you can go ahead and go back to your favorite podcast channel and listen to part one. I'll just get you up to snuff so you don't feel lost in any way. We talked about four stages. They say it's of marriage. I say it could be of any relationship. And it's romance, disillusionment, misery, and an awakening. So romance is that, ooh, that anticipation, that expectation. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. We cannot wait to have our relationship be great only to find out that we are delusional, right? We draw the conclusion at some point, we all do, if we're, if we're, if we're dying, we're lying, that this is a disillusional situation because that's when we find our person to be like super irritating, right? Maybe even intolerable. Yet at one point we were so anticipatory and expectant of what love was going to do for us. Then we move so beautifully into the misery stage. That is when we start blaming and excusing our behavior and holding another person, marriage, parenting, whatever, accountable for why we act, think, and say the way we do, which is always interesting and there's no win ever in that scenario. So I would propose that relationships are kind of like a car until it's broke down on the side of the road, no need to fix it. Like, it's fine. It gets me where I need to be. And I've never ever worked with a couple or even parents and kids or people in relationship that both think things are awesome. Um, almost never does that happen. It's usually pretty clear that we've gone from romance to disillusionment to misery. And thank God, by the power and grace of God, we can actually have an awakening in our marriage. And that happens, my friends, when we allow for the transformation of our heart 
and our relationship to be and look so much more like God created it to be. And so typically, I like to say that I'm an expert at some things, right? So, and this would be something I'm an expert at what not to do. Okay, so I'm an absolute expert, my man would say, Bob and I would say that we are experts on what never to do because we have learned the hard way how to get really quick to the misery part and really slow to the awakening part. So if you want to learn more about that, you can just go ahead and read my book. So here's the thing. What happens is we come to these relationships with what seems to be reasonable hopes, dreams, and desires. Like they're just reasonable. This is my heart and in it contained is my hopes, my dreams, and my desires. Interestingly enough, many of us don't even talk about that. My man says he still prays that he had a crystal ball on the day he said, I do, because to this day, he really does not even know what my hopes and dreams and desires are. So by the time we're in the disillusionment stage, what happens is our expectations, our, our hopes, dreams, and desires kind of look more like expectations and those expectations typically land as demand. Um, and I don't know about you or my listeners out there, but when somebody demands something, it feels very different than when somebody desires it. And, and, and it's, it's attractive when it's desired and it's not attractive at all, possibly the opposite when it comes through as a demand. And so love is, let me just read that, love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, and it's not even proud. It does not dishonor, it is not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, rather rejoices in the truth. Here's the thing it does, all the time, every time. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres, and love never, ever, no matter whatever, fails. Now, that's an abstraction to me because in a minute we're going to talk about what that really even says because it sounds beautiful when someone proclaims it. And then we think, well, if love is as love does, I'm not looking like that, right? I'm not looking like that because my anticipation and my expectation all of a sudden got clouded with this disillusionment. And now I say, well, I could, I could be and do if you would be and do. So I would and could if you did because you should. And that is usually not a great uh, intimacy grower in any relationship. And so what happens is we have this expectation of this person coming through. It's like, hey, I needed you to come through. And here's what I really believe. I believe at the core, we want to come through for our people. I don't care if it's our spouse, our kids, um, our siblings, people. We literally want to come through. And because hopes, dreams, and desires, and maybe even, like Matthew Kelly says, fears, faults, and failures aren't exposed in such a way where someone can honor them. And so it comes out very different than the way that God designed it, which was really by his divine design for us to bring out the best in one another, because we're supposed to be better together. Um, and if you've been married or you have children or you've been in any serious relationship, it is really hard. It is really, really hard not to have 
your hopes, dreams, and desires, not if they're not met, to have that expectation shift and feel more like a demand. So love, my friends, according to Paul, I would also say that we use the word often. Like I think today I said, I love the sunshine. I love the banana. I love the lighting in my office. I love these new glasses I got. And I'm talking about a different kind of love that supersedes all of that love, the kind of love that Paul talked about because he said, I don't care what you have. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. If you don't have love, you have nothing. Like without love, nothing else matters. And so my belief is we say it a lot. We ponder it too little. Okay. So this kind of love that Paul is talking about, it's the blueprint for relationships. It's literally how you get there. Unlike how I went to North Dakota by way of Ohio, this is actually the kind of love. And I just love that I can do this live because I can see your faces smiling and that makes my heart so happy. Yeah. So this kind of love is not the kind of love we've heard about and maybe even said out loud. Like, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Right? I love them, but I'm not in love with them. Well, here's the good news and eh, bad news. Love is not a feeling. Like that's the really cool part. You can actually not feel like loving anybody in your life and you can still decide to love them because love is active. Love is action. And love is something that we decide to do over and over and over. So here's what Paul says. He says, patience is to bear with the imperfections and faults of another. That's what he means by patient. It means, he says, you're patient with what seems to be the person that's so much weaker than you, right, in your perception. I know that I am more patient with Alexa than I am with Bob. I am more patient with Alexa. I am more clear. I am more articulate. I will say the same thing until I know she understands it. Yet my man, I'm like, what, you didn't hear me the first time? Okay, it also says it's kind. I am kinder to the Burger King drive through lady than I am to my own children and people in my life. Except, of course, if I work as your coach, I think I'm really kind to you. That's just my thought. So kind is patience in action. That's what kindness is. It's patience in action. And here's the thing. It says it doesn't envy. So it, it, it doesn't it's not envious of time we spend elsewhere. It's not envious of energy we spend elsewhere. It's not driven by pride if it's not envious. And it doesn't boast. I know my man and I, we spent 10 years one up in one another. It was like tick for tack and talk. And of course, I always won because I always had the last word. And now I know nobody wins. And especially if we have to have the last word. Okay, it's not proud. That means it is not unreasonable and has no sense of superiority. It says it's not rude. Now, I, have, I could be described as rude and so could the people that I have given birth to. And what that means is if we're not rude, then we are not offending. And we are sensitive to the feelings of another. It says it's not selfish. It's actually the opposite. It is selfless. When we are selfish, we are seeking our own way. We got to be right. When it's easily angered, it says it's not easily angered. 
If you've listened to any of the work that I've done in the past, I love to remind people anger is a secondary emotion. A secondary emotion when our initial emotions are not navigated, expressed appropriately. They look like anger. They look sharp. They rouse. It's a little button pushing. Paul says, nope, it ain't that. Here's what he says. It doesn't remember wrong. Do you know how we start sentences with you always, you never, my man's favorite is, I've been telling you that for 20 years. Not an intimacy builder. Not a big conversation starter because we are not keeping a record of wrongs. It says it never gives up. Never. That means it bears all things to protect and defend to the end. To the end, it never gives up. It never stops trusting. That's a tough one, right? When we are in relationships where trust has eroded or literally been betrayed altogether, it is really hard to assume good intention. It is really hard to have confidence in people where trust has been breached. I used to tell our children when they were growing up that trust is like a million deposits in the bank and when we breach trust, it's one big old withdrawal, just like that. And it's so not fair. They also used to hear a lot, it's always fair to someone. If you got the biggest piece of pie, it's fair to you. Otherwise, it's just not fair that I could give, 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 and one act of the will could actually deplete everything. And sadly enough, that's the fact. But Paul says it never stops trusting. It never loses hope. It never quits. Never ever, no matter whatever. So if that's the blueprint, how do we do it? Because we talked last week about the reality that we do a couple different things when these um, hopes, dreams, and desires end up landing like demands, we do a couple things. Because first we believe that our spouse or our friend or our parent or our sibling would never ever do that. And then they did it. Or we absolutely believe they came through and they were a no-show. So first we have to reconcile the fact that we believe they never could, then they do, then they are, then they are. And that's the bummer. And so then we decide we're out of here, right? My famous words for the first 10 years of marriage were, I'm done. Like I threw the D word around like almost as much as I threw the love word around, and clearly I had no idea what either one meant because we leave things aren't good we leave right we believe that the grass is greener and we're like hey i didn't sign up for this then we leave and we realize that the grass wasn't greener it was just watered and fertilized over there and that's why it looks so much better than our lawn right or we step into a relationship where somebody is winning that's when we do some convincing some convicting little bit of controlling, a lot of controlling, because we got to win. And here's the deal, my friends, nobody wins in any relationship. Because if somebody wins, then that means somebody lost. Here's what we do third, we conform. We conform, we go along to get along. I just want you to know, Jesus did not die for you so you could go along to get along. He actually said, love one another as I have loved you. And that has nothing to do with just showing up, not even close. Or we compromise. Now, if we're keeping score, because that's what the compromise piece is, then Bob does way more than Judy. When my kids were younger, they used to say, mom, what do you do actually? 
because dad literally does everything. And I'm talking like laundry, cleaning, finances, fixes the vehicles, does the yard work, the house maintenance, the insurance, he takes kids to the doctor. And I'm like, well, I'm just responsible for their moral and spiritual upbringing. And that is way more than Bob's thing. Bottom line, if we're keeping score, Bob does more. Because in that kind of deal, guys, girls, is it's contractual. Then it says, like, if I keep score of what you do and what you don't do. And the final thing we do after all these four, if we haven't done them, then hopefully we get ourselves to retrovi, which is, which is a marriage ministry that saved our marriage. So here's what happens. Our eyes collide. Our eyes. I want this. I need that. I expected this. And when our eyes collide, the divine design of our relationship looks very different than what God intended it to be. So here's the, here's the deal is that it looks different. Relationships look different over a period of time because they are different. They are different, which is why they look different. And so I, I suggest, and actually this is stolen. If you've taken anything from me, you've stolen it twice. In this case, it was, this is materialist from Andy Stanley, one of my favorite non-denominational speakers. And the title of his talk is Happy Couples Do. And so this I kind of made, I like to make things my own. And so what I do believe is these same principles apply for all relationships. Number one, if we are to be happy, happy being blessed, blessed, blessed. We, we approach our relationships as a submission competition. Our relationships are a submission competition. Here's what I mean by that. We are hurrying up to get to the back of the line so our person, spouse, kid, sibling, parent, can go first. See, in my family, we didn't rub things out. We rubbed them in. We didn't forgive and forget, we hated and we remembered. And so in this kind of submission competition, we're rubbing it out. We're saying, hey, you go first. I want you to go first, because if you get what you need, I'm much, I'm much more likely to get what I need. And that is not codependency, it's not enabling, it's just saying, hey, I honor you. My love is self-donating and sacrificial. And I give it to you without condition, without cost, without measure. Number two, happy people, blessed people in any relationship, assume good intention. See, we got this bucket of expectations that, that were really beautifully our hopes, dreams, and desires um, before we got married. And then on the other side of that, we have this experience. And when our experience does not match our expectation, we have a big gap to fill. And we can fill it with whatever we want. And my coach, when I work with people in coaching, I try to help them understand the story you're telling yourself might not be true at all. And if we are assuming good intention, we are absolutely filling in the gap with assuming the best. When my experience doesn't match my expectation, I assume good intention. It changes everything. It takes us from judgment to understanding. It's a beautiful concept and it started in the garden. So you can study that if you'd love to. Because here's the thing, we can't assume good intention if there isn't any trust. So low trust, my friends, is a total bust in any relationship.
We cannot grow intimacy if we have low trust. How about number three? Happy people, blessed people, people in relationship who feel satisfied and content have decided we owe each other everything and are owed nothing. Let me repeat that. We owe each other everything and we are owed nothing in return. Gosh, Jesus talks so much about the debt and debtor relationship. Let me give you an example. If I borrowed $100 from you and I gave it back to you, I don't think you'd be grateful. I don't even know if you'd say thank you. I think you just expected me to do that because that, my friend, is a debt-debtor relationship. This kind of love that Paul talks about, he says, oh, actually, no. I actually owe you everything. And I, you, are, you are owed me zero. Like that is so crazy to be able to think that we could look at all of our relationships with a mindset of, I owe you everything. And in return, you owe me nothing. Because if we really did that, if we really lived that, the people that we are loving on would feel the kind of love that reflects the scripture I just read to you. See, I thank Bob for everything. Like every, every morning almost, my man, if he leaves before me, he makes coffee for me. The thing is, I could get real used to expecting that. He mows the lawn. He does the laundry. I, I, for the first time in a long time, I put gas in my car, and I've never been to an ATM since we got married a lot of years ago. I don't, as a matter of fact, one time I went to the bank to make a deposit for Bob. I stood there for an hour, and I was wondering why the people were not very intelligent, only to find out that I was at the wrong bank because he does everything and I was trying to deposit money in the wrong bank. So when I say that my man does everything and I don't thank him because I, I could easily come to expect it. And so now I'm so much better because I always want to be getting better at getting better and hopefully we are better together thanking him for the stuff that he just does naturally. Lastly, number four, we continue to consistently and intentionally become the best version of ourselves. When my kids were younger, one of the, the, the teachings that I just was top of mind for me all the time is to become the person that you're looking for is looking for. Right. I know when I met my man, I felt like he was the missing piece, like he completed me. Well, you can't be complete if you're incomplete going in. And so this says, no, this kind of love comes from becoming continually, intentionally, consistently the better version of you than you were yesterday. The best version of you continuing to evolve because knowing and growing is how we become more self-aware. See, I know for so long, my response in terms of the relationships that I was in is it's fine. It's just fine. So what does fine stand for? If you know me, you know this. It stands for feelings inside never expressed. When we're just fine, we're frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. When we're becoming the best version of ourselves consistently and intentionally, that's not the feelings that get elicited in us. See, in all four, the love grows more. 
in all four. Pick one. Do it. Do it for 40 days. I'm big on a 40-day concept because in 40 days, Jesus did mighty things in 40 days. 40 days. Pick one. The submission competition, assuming good intention, owing each other everything or consistently working at becoming the best version of yourself. Because these four will help our love in any relationship grow more. And we will give more love. And inevitably, love begets love. And I, I, I say this consistently on this podcast is, I've never been told that I was loving my people too much. Never did my kids or my man say, I cannot take all this love. I can't take all this patience and kindness and selflessness. Like, stop, like get me out of this relationship. Because love is the answer to every question. And it solves for everything. And I would propose that this kind of love that Paul talks about is just really some imperfect people not giving up. I just suggest that it's just not given up, no matter what. Because love is, my friends, what love does. And if we can't love like this, we got some wounds that need some healing. And if our pain is not transformed, if the pain, the hopes, dreams, and desires, the expectations that landed like demands, if that stuff isn't transformed, I promise you, I've lived this, it gets transmitted. And this quote keeps coming up all over social media for me, and maybe that means I'm supposed to share it with you, is then what happens is we bleed all over people in ways that could have been solved for, because the Lord makes all things good and works all things out for the glory of his people. So amen and amen, my friends. Thank you for choosing to journey with Judy in love is as love does. And until we meet again next week, it is never, ever, no matter whatever, too late to be who God has called you to be. Reach out anytime. I would love to connect with you. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of Journey with Judy. To learn more about Judy's coaching ministry, receive a complimentary session, and other services she offers, visit judyhair.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. And remember, it's never too late to be who God called you to be. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app breadbox.